Hey guys, welcome back to Tap That Easy Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Walters. You probably noticed there was no news and reviews episode this week, or you didn't notice that there was no news and reviews episode this week. Either way, there was no news and reviews episode this week. Decided to put them out every other Monday. Instead of every single Monday, we're going to do them every other Monday. So every other Monday, you're going to get a news and reviews episode, which basically outlines some of the great events going on in Arizona beer. We're going to have some beer reviews of Arizona beers, and we're going to also have some education from the great people of the Arizona beer industry. So it's going to come out every other Monday. Still, every single Wednesday, it's going to be a full podcast episode. In this episode, I sit down with Drew Poole, one of the founders of Ren House Brewing Company in Phoenix. As many people know, that is one of my favorite breweries in all of the world. So I uh, love talking to Drew as well. And we were just chatting one day and he brought up the idea of doing an episode about what it's like to open up a brewery, kind of the ins and outs and things to know when you're opening up a brewery. So so we sit down and that's what this is about. It's there's obviously some story elements to the opening of Ren House and, and what they've experienced, but this is more of a general what to expect when you're opening up a brewery. So hope you guys really enjoy this episode. Also, go to the website, tapthataz.com. Not sure if everybody knows there is a website, but uh, my man, uh, Luke Irvin from Mixed Mercury Media, has been taking lots of great pictures, and we're put, putting that up on the website. So go to tapthataz.com to check out this episode. Let's tap into starting a brewery with Drew Poole. So we are here at uh, Ren House Brewing Company. This is a special episode that we're doing here. Got my man Drew here. Hello. I'm pointing at him like we were on video here. <laughs> uh, Drew is going to, you're going we'll to, I'll let you explain what we're going to do here. Sure. So, um, so we were chatting uh, probably around Strong Beer Fest, maybe. Yeah. Um, and just kind of chatting about, you know, the brewing industry here in Phoenix and, and, you know, I think everybody knows that there's a lot of breweries in planning uh, going on in the Valley. And I think after talking to Rob, you know, he mentioned that there's always about a dozen breweries in some stage of opening in the Phoenix area or across the state. Right. And so, you know, we thought it might be a good idea to, you know, maybe talk about some of my experiences um, starting a business. So having more sure. of like a a business focused podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I do dabble uh, on the brewing side of things, but I think kind of where my, you know, passion and my expertise is in is actually, you know, creating and starting and running a business. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've chatted with a number of folks around the Valley, um, you know, that want some advice or um, to learn some of our kind of best known methods of, of getting open and running. So, uh, thought we might talk a little bit about that today yeah. in depth for everybody. Excellent, man. Excellent. Now, I hope you're ready for the flood of people, Sure, you yeah. know, from the, the millions of listeners that I have. That Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, it's kind of cool because um, um, I'm, I'm noticing lately that there are a lot of home brewers that, are, that listen to the show, that love mm -hmm. hearing the stories of, of you guys, of all the breweries. Um, and... You know, hearing just little techniques on the beer 101s, you know, I've got my friends that are homebrewers are like, dude, that like, you know, so-and-so talking about temperature helped me to kind of polish up that stout that I'm doing at sure. home, right? So so I think this this episode will probably be the most popular with the homebrewers, so hopefully cool. you spark another uh, yeah. explosion. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, um, 
the running joke is uh, you know, that I I don't brew, that I'm not a brewer. Uh, I, I did one homebrew batch that was terrible and decided <laughs> that, uh, you know, that wasn't the path for me. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, hopefully what we'll get out today is that, you know, kind of it, it doesn't matter who's running the business as long as you have a business mindset, I think, okay. um, when you're opening it. So whether you're the brewer themselves or you know, you're looking at it from a business opportunity or you're a marketing person or a salesperson, um, there's definitely ways to navigate, I think, and, yeah. and get open and be successful. It's a good point, too, because, uh, I mean, I think people sometimes think like, hey, I'm a good cook. I can open up a restaurant. Sure. Nah, not necessarily. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, from from. You know, my personal story, I, you know, after college, uh, it was sort of like the recession moment, right? So I graduated college in 08. So it was basically there were no jobs available. Sure. Uh, so, you know, I was working at Kinko's actually, uh, <laughs> or FedEx office was rebranded. So I was working at Kinko's with a college degree and I was talking to my wife uh, and uh thinking, okay, you know, I got to do something to further myself and further my career and actually do something that I'm passionate about, right? So um, I applied actually to UC Davis Brewing School, and I was like, you know, hey, I'm into, I'm, I've always been into beer. I've always loved the culture. Um, I've always loved the craft of, of beer, and I want to learn more about it. And I think the way to do that is to go get professional experience. You know, after talking to my wife a little bit, I'm like, okay, at the same time, I'm going to apply to business school and, um, you know, see see which one I get into and maybe that'll be, you know, my direction, yeah. right, in my personal life. So I ended up getting into UC Davis and then I think two days later, I ended up getting into business school. So uh, I had a conversation and decided that I'll get into business school and one way or another, I'll work my way back into the beer industry. Yeah. So anyways, fast forward, you know, four years later, I... I was, you know, working for Intel, met my business partner, Bill, at, at, at work and decided that, you know, hey, let's, let's capitalize on this uh, beer industry movement and, and start building a business uh, for or a business plan for a brewery in Phoenix. And, you know, let's, uh, let's make something special. So, you know, it kind of worked its way back around. But, yeah, you know, there, there's, there's no one path, I think, to get there. And I think that's with everything, right? right? Like there's just, if you, so did you guys have, um, so how did it start? So you met him, you guys had this common connection, right. uh, with, was it beer? Was beer that common connection? Or? No, it wasn't actually. Okay. So Bill, uh, is actually even, uh, you know, at the time I think he was, um, a craft brew novice. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he's from the East coast. He's from Maryland, uh, working at Intel and, you know, he had, he's aware of the big guys and, you know, was dabbling in, you know, I think at the time his favorite beer was uh, beer Republic, you know, racer five. Or okay. Something. <laughs> yeah. you know, so that's, yeah. that's kind of the level he was in, right. Sure. He wasn't aware of all these uh, small uh, boutique shops or anything like that. So uh, again, I think that helped us in the beginning because we actually looked at it from a business point of view and we said, yeah. you know, okay, what's going to cost, what are we going to have to put into it? how are we going to be able to make money and keep a business running? Right. Yeah. So, you know, obviously we want to make a great product and you know, that was a piece of it. And we went and found Preston and we were pretty confident that, you know, he was going to be able to make the beer that, um, people were going to enjoy and come back for, but Bill and I focused on, okay, with all that, you know, assuming that we do have a good brewer and we're going to make a good product, um, you know, what's our overhead going to be like, how many employees are we going to have to have, 
uh, are we going to be able to quit our day jobs and, and move over there? How are we going to get a loan or, you know, all those things. Right. So yeah. we looked at it from that point of view and, um, I think it excited us from the challenge from a business point of view. Yeah. Nice. So it was just, it was just, a, I don't say a general plan, but it was, uh, it was interesting to, cause most people start off with that, that just the big dream. Like I want to open up something cool, right? Like yeah. I want to do this and not thinking of all, like all the things that could, I mean, who, who thinks of having employees, right? Like how right. many employees are we can have people who are successful, right? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Those well, ones that think yeah. About and it. how, uh, how leveraged we were going to have to be, how much money we we're going to have to put in ourselves. Uh, you know, I think to him, he got cold feet a few times, uh, just from the, um, personal guarantees that you have to sign away for everything. Right. So <sighs> finding a location, it's like, okay, personal guarantee, uh, getting a loan, personal guarantee. And it's like, okay, well, we're, we worked hard to, you know, uh, buy houses and buy cars and do all these things. And it's like, okay, well, all that's kind of like the bank kind of owns that now, or yeah. the bank has <laughs> claims on that. So you better have a successful business. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, that sort of guided a lot of our decisions, you know, making sure that to us, number one was low overhead. So we, we went into it with a mindset of building a business plan where, um, we could stay at Intel and we could have people here, uh, you know, run the business and at, at the time it, it was, you know, three people at the beginning and it's grown, you know, now to 12 plus, you know, full-time employees here. So, so it was you, Preston and Bill at first. Yeah. At the okay. beginning it was yeah. me, Preston and Bill. We had some bartenders. I actually bartended, uh, a lot of nights myself, okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, and got to know a lot of regulars and that sort of thing. And, you know, help kind of tweak the business as we went. But yeah, Preston was a one man show brewing all the time in the back. And then we eventually brought on Luke to help out from a cellaring point of view and then eventually moving into brewing himself. Right. Gotcha. So when you were saying that you, when you were bartending, um, it helped to kind of shape some things you mean like by just getting feedback from people like, yeah, you know, um, you know, I think if you, you know, you can't be afraid to ask people the hard questions and be like, you know, what could be better about this beer or what don't you like about it? Or, yeah. you know, you know, which beers, you know, people, as soon as they try it, right, you can see their reaction and see, sure. you know, if things aren't catching on or if you need to make changes, um, that sort of thing, right? And then you also hear about, you know, hey, you need more things for growler fills or you need more, you know, that's why we bought a crawler machine. And, you know, it, it kind of influences a lot of those little micro decisions. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if we if we kind of take a step back and, and talk about, like, the first step of kind of getting started, it was... Um, for us, it was funding, right? So it was like, we, we built a business plan. We kind of, you know, it was, you know, five pages of kind of the market, the opportunity, who our target demographic was, uh, you know, that sort of thing. But then really that kind of goes out the window as soon as you talk to your first bank, uh, because, you know, they, they, they want to dive deep into numbers, right? Especially, you're going after an SBA loan, which I hi highly recommend for anybody. Uh, it's a government-backed loan, right? So banks are more willing to give you that loan because it's less risk for them. Because basically the the government's guaranteeing that even if I were to default on this loan, that the bank is going to get some money back. Right? Oh, gotcha. Okay. So anyways, to get those, it's, it's actually hard, harder to get those loans uh, because you have to show more financials. Um, so like projections. Pro okay. Yeah. So like you know, your three year, four year, five year, 10 year projections of 
you know, show us how you're going to make money doing this. And of course, a lot of it's guessing, but I think that's where Bill came in and he's kind of the expert, you know, Excel number guy. And without him, I don't think we would have gotten past that because yeah. <laughs> I'm very like back of the napkin, like, yeah, you know, sell <laughs> yeah. 20 pints a day. We're good. Yeah. Um, but banks uh, kind of need more than that. Sure. So, so anyways, that's the route we went. But I know a lot of people getting started, they, they pull out money from 401ks or retirement accounts or friends and family or crowdfunding or, you know, all those ways are different ways to get funded. But for us, an SBA loan was the best because there weren't any really strings attached other than personal guarantees, obviously to the bank, but (laughs) it wasn't like I'm hitting up my brother or somebody for money. And then, you know, they're now a partner kind of, and they're in the brewery and they're influencing decisions or you're doing a crowdfunding. And now, you know, you have 300 people that you've made promises to that you have to fulfill. Right. I don't think that would allow me to sleep uh, if I did that personally. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So that was the approach we took. Gotcha. Okay. So number one, secure that funding. That's right. Obviously that's now this was after the, the five, well, create the five page business plan that you guys. Yeah. Just high level. Like, yeah, yeah, that's the fun part of the, the initial stages of, you know, you hear a lot of, you know, drunken conversations in the backyard or something (laughs) of, Oh, let's make this brewery. Let's call it you know, whatever, you know, renegade brewing company and let's, uh, let's make these five different kinds of beers. Let's do a ton of pastry stouts and hazy IPAs and we'll make millions. Right. (laughs) That's like the first step. And then you like write down a five page, five page business plan. Then you go to a bank and you get laughed out the door. So that, that happened to us multiple times. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, so yeah, so, you know, you make that small business plan and then you, you know, you go for funding and then it's a chicken and egg thing kind of from there on out. So okay. it's, you know, you need your licenses, but to get those licenses, you need a location to get a location or to get a loan, you need a location, but to actually get a location, you need a loan. I mean, it's uh, like this whole, you know, messed up like backwards thing where, yeah. you know, for us, we were a year in with the bank before we even found where we're at. Uh, Meaning you today. guys already had the funding secured. And yeah. So yeah, we, I okay. mean, we had some locations in mind and I think one thing to, to not discourage people is, you know, go out and find that location, but be comfortable with it changing because it's going to change. Meaning like the, the, the location itself or like yeah. going somewhere completely different. Well, like both. Yeah. yeah. So like say you go and you're like, Oh my God, this spot is the spot and yeah. this is going to be our brewery and you get these visions and you're like, Oh, this is amazing. And then you're like, okay, we got to go close our loan out and that takes months and yeah. then your location's gone. Somebody else buys it uh, and you're like, fuck, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> like, forget it. Like this isn't going to happen. I'm going to throw away my business plan. Like, yeah. you know, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of times that's going to happen. Sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, you just got to move on, find another location. And then you find that location and you start going through the process and probably won't work out. And that location is probably going to be gone too. And you're going to be like, well, fuck like strike two, like screw this, like yeah. forget it. Um, so this location that we're at 2125 right now, it was probably our fifth location. Oh really? Uh, so we looked at, cause I mean that, that whole location thing's a mess of trying to find the right zoning and the right city that the city's going to work with you and be helpful. Uh, so we looked in Tempe at warehouse space. We looked in Phoenix at warehouse space. We looked at airports, all these things where zoning would be easy. Yeah. And we thought that would be the right way to go. But, um, you know, uh, one thing after another, you know, it, it changes. And then 
you know, it's one of those things where I was driving home from work. I saw a sign outside. We were ready to close a loan. Last thing we needed was a physical address. Yeah. Um, found this place and jumped on it and you have to move fast, right? If you do find a place you like, you have to be ready to, to act on it and purchase it. Okay. Um, or at least, else or at least sign a contract and yeah. with a landlord and say, Hey, let's work out a, uh, I always forget the word for it, but, uh, basically a, a period where you don't need to pay, um, like a 12 month contingency or whatever, okay. where, you know, Hey, we'll sign, but it's going to take us 12 months to close on our loan. Like we would, don't want to pay rent for those 12 months. And yeah. if you can find somebody or, you know, six months or three months or whatever, that helps a lot because yeah. you'll need that. Um, and that kind of makes or breaks you, I think in a lot of cases, because then after that, then you can start applying for all your federal licenses once you have your physical location. So all that has to come first. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, heartburn and heartache with that process. (laughs) Yeah. And then once you finally get the location, then it kind of moves into stress mode where (laughs) now you're committed and now it's, you know, time's ticking, like you better get open and start selling beer because you're going to go bankrupt (laughs) (laughs) where it seems like that first step is like, all right. In some, I guess maybe in the back of your mind, even too, you're like, okay, this just falls through. Then, then it falls through. It's, it's, you know, then you close that. You're like, Oh shit. Yeah. Now I got to roll. Yeah. yeah, Guess what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, this guy has, uh, you know, you're, you owe this guy for five year, you know, your five year lease or something like that. It's, It's not cheap. Right. So, so then you start have, you know, you have to start moving fast and file your federal licenses and get your, you know, get your contractor to start building out. You got to get your plans approved by the city, all these, all this stuff. Right. And yeah. that takes, I mean, that takes a year, you know, and, and a good well, you may scenario. Say plans. Like you mean like the, like what you're going to do with the, yeah, the your occupancy, your floor okay. plans, your, I mean, everything. Right. So the, the feds don't require that much detail. It's more just like a sketch of your brewing operations and how that's going to be separate from your, uh, public operations. And okay. then there has to be a divide there. Right. So it's to them, it's like pre-tax and post-tax beer. Um, so that's important for a federal license. You get that going and then it, you immediately move on to your local licenses. So start immediately working with the state and the city. Okay. So it's, from a legal perspective, the state just follows whatever the feds do. So you're good from that point of view, but the city and the county, they're going to want, you know, your occupancy. They're going to want your parking plan. They're going to want your waste plan. They're going to want your water plan. I mean, it's there. And for us here, we had to do soil samples in the backyard to make sure that our building could handle these tanks. Ah, uh, we had to do structural engineer stuff. We had to do, you know, then the, county health inspectors come in and they have a long list of a million things that you have to do and cleanable surfaces and all this stuff. Right. Because it's um, food. It's because they consider it a food processing plant basically. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you have all these people and you're doing inspections, you know, three days a week. And you know, if you miss an inspection, you lose a couple of weeks and you know, when you get towards the end, it's crunch time. Right. And you're, if you lose a week, you're, you know, you're hurting, yeah. right. You got to get more money. Uh, so we had multiple times where we're like, Hey, the bank's getting low. We're going to have to, you know, use our personal credit cards or we're going to have to, you know, pull money out of our own savings or our 401ks or something just to cover the cost to yeah. float the business to, you know, opening day. Yeah. Um, and you know, for us, I think one of the things, since we're not industry people, one of the things that was kind of shocking to us was the cost of all the, um, miscellaneous items that come with brewing. So 
you know, we knew the big hard costs of like equipment and kegs and mills and all those things like keg washers. Like we had that planned for, but the little things like, you know, grain and hops and yeast and <sighs> cleaning chemicals and all, all this stuff came out of kind of like left field where, yeah. you know, it sounds stupid, but you know, a thousand dollars worth of grain, uh, you know, times seven, if you want to brew seven batches of beer to yeah. get open and have a good tap list, you know, that's seven, seven grand that you might not have put into your plan yeah. right away. And, you know, at the end of the, at the end of all these inspections you've been doing and all these extra add-ons, um, you know, that, that can, that probably has to come out of your own pocket if you don't plan correctly. So, yeah. yeah. So there's going to be a sh- shitload of un. Yeah. unplanned or for sure un- yeah, unthought of things yeah. yeah and one of the things we wish we would have done um opening was had more working capital built into our loan so mm-hmm. we basically only asked for the minimum because uh one it was less liability for us and two it was less money out of pocket we had to come you know based on the loan you have to come up with a certain percentage so we didn't have a huge contingency in there for like working capital which we would have because we basically ran out of working capital before we opened and we had to start dipping into our own pockets, oh, um, gotcha. which hurt. But yeah, yeah you're going to need, I mean, I think for us, it, we could have used another 50 grand in oh. working capital. So, I mean, it's not like a few hundred bucks, <laughs> right. but I mean, it's yeah. like, yeah. you know, we would, it would have been more comfortable. Yeah. I, I probably would have a few more years right. of my life if I <laughs> yeah. would have had some extra working capital. <laughs> So, so then you get, you get all that stuff in line. You're, you're doing everything you can to get, get to opening day. Right. But, but actually, well, I guess we should back up a little bit too, because of the branding aspect of it too. Sure. Right. I mean, yeah. you guys, I mean, we got that right there as a living, um, reminder, right? <laughs> yeah. He's pointing at the Westward sign. Yeah. I mean, it's so that our business plan was a Westward business plan. Our, uh, federal license is a Westward license. Uh, so we did all those things, you know, far in advance and actually, the ironic thing, sort of not funny thing is to us is that, you know, we had filed all that stuff before Westward Whiskey came around. Uh, um, so we thought we were good. We're like, you know, hey, we have, you know, this federal license that has Westward on it. That should count for something, right? Sure. Well, in reality, it doesn't count for anything. And uh, the uh, the uh, copyright or the trademark law folks, they could care less, right? So you have yeah. to actually show your brand operating and market to stake a claim to it. Oh, gotcha. Um, so they had done that before us, yeah. um, and they actually had a Westward whiskey selling in the market before Westward Brewing was open. Okay. Um, so anyways, that was like, I think literally two or three weeks before opening, we had all of our Westward shirts, our Westward hats, wow. our Westward sign was hanging up outside. I remember driving by it. Yeah, was, we had like, a Westward yeah. sign, like we'd painted the sign. I mean, yeah. this was like two weeks before open, and we had to scratch it and just kind of roll with punches, change our name, find something that we were happy with and start the whole rebrand, which again was money we didn't have. Sure. Right. So that costs a lot of money. Right. So how much does something like that cost? Like, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, um, well, I mean just the, the license itself, uh, isn't bad. I mean, if you do it yourself, it's a hundred bucks or something, but if you, I would recommend you have, there's lawyers that specialize in that and they'll charge you like 500 bucks. Okay. But that way, you know, it's done right. And they'll you know give you a nice printed out certificate at the end of it that says you're 
name is now trademarked, which uh, is worth a million dollars. Right. So <laughs> I would, I would go with that approach. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean like a batch of shirts and a batch of glasses and I mean, that's a couple of grand, sure. you know, just in, from branding that point of view. And then yeah. not to mention if you've done menus or you've done signs or you've done websites, you know, you got to redesign yeah. all that. Yeah. We're lucky that our designer is also Preston's wife, so yeah. <laughs> uh, she she doesn't charge us that much. Yeah. So uh, from that point of view, it, it didn't hurt that much. But I can see how, you know, it's definitely demoralizing. And if you get it, I guess the moral of the story, you got to think of it as a business person, not get too attached to any one thing because it's yeah. probably going to change. Yeah, gotcha. You got to just be flexible with totally. with everything, right? Yeah, yeah. So where where from the, so you got the branding in line uh, you got in, in Ren House you've got the the design from Preston's wife yeah Lauren yep. and then you got to move into opening day right right yeah yeah so then it's you know if you know if we're talking you know uh, probably sixty days out you're you know getting your glycol lines installed you're getting your equipment up and running you're getting your electrical figured out. Um, you know, probably 30 days before you're still getting inspections from the county health department, you're training staff, you're making beer, you know, you start actually making beer, which is exciting. Um, hopefully that beer comes out and then your equipment's yeah. working well. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, your first batches are never going to be that great. I don't think just because one, you're, you're testing recipes on a big scale, which, sure. you know, I don't think anybody, uh, well, unless you've had a previous experience, you know, you're, you're basically betting a couple thousand dollars on grain and hops and all the stuff that this beer is going to taste good. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think the great thing is, you know, our business environment is people are willing to sort of be patient a little bit and grow with you as you're practicing your, your craft. Um, so yeah, so, you know, you're brewing beers, you're getting beers done and then you can actually do that. You can actually be brewing beer before you have your CFO because you're not open to the public technically. What is CFO? C- certificate of occupancy. Okay. So that's actually letting people come into your establishment. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, so you can actually be brewing beer and actually making product before, you know, that happens. Gotcha. So, you know, you get a good five or six batches brewed and kegs ready to go. Um, you get the health department coming back a million times or going to become your best friends or your worst enemies. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which I've also learned, uh, you know, if anybody from the city's listening, I'm sure they won't appreciate this, but uh, I've learned to, uh, you know, not ask for permission for some things and rather ask for forgiveness, <laughs> uh, yeah. which is huge because in the beginning, we, I think we shot ourselves in the foot a lot along the way by proactively going to the city and asking for permission for some things, okay. which opened up cans of worms, like you wouldn't believe, where they were like, you know, we have to remember that four years ago, we were one of the first microbreweries in Phoenix that was without a restaurant. So we we were like these new guys that were doing production brewing, you know, in the city, and they wanted to treat us like Four Peaks. And that was a lot of the feedback we got. We would go into the city of Phoenix and they would use Four Peaks as an example. And they would look at Four Peaks plans and what the city of Tempe is requiring Four Peaks to do. And we're like, guys, time out. Like, we're <laughs> we're 10 barrels. Four Peaks is, like, huge. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we would open up these cans of worms where they would start treating us like this huge manufacturing uh, facility. Okay. And making us install all these crazy things. And we're like... The, you know, this is possible, right? Yeah. And we got to a point where we had asked something about, I think, fire sprinklers, which was a terrible idea to ask. 
And they were like, oh, yeah, based on the code, you need fire sprinklers when they had never brought it up to that point. And it was going to cost us like $30,000 like a month before opening. And we actually had to file a like a, a grievance or something that said, basically, you know, we're going to have to close as a business if you make us do this because we couldn't afford it. And they actually, you know, like signed this thing that said that we didn't have to do it because it would be unjust harm or something like that to a business, which is nice. Um, but they but yeah. would never have known about it. But they would never have known about it unless we brought it up. And same with, uh, so we had a two-story building in the back and we had knocked out the second floor. Yeah. And obviously, you know, OSHA safety standards, we want to be safe and we don't want to kill anybody. But sure. um, I think the city had seen a picture of our building when it still had the floor in it. And uh, then they came and they saw it without the floor in it. And they're like, hey, where'd this floor go? <laughs> they're like, what are you talking about? We never had a floor in here. They're like, yes, you do. We see a picture of it. Uh. I'm like, oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> so we had to do all these crazy structural improvements. Uh, so that thing's like built like a bunker now. Right. But it's probably one of those things we could have got by on. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the city's looking for safety and uh, they don't want a disaster, you know, uh, Preston killed and a right. brew house collapse <laughs> right. or something. That's but, right. Um, so, you know, they mean well, but at the same time to a business, it could be unjust harm in some cases, you know, or too many hoops to jump through. So if there's gray area, I would go with the gray area. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that brings up a good point too, because what I've heard is each city is different too, right? Yeah. Because you said federal and state is, is same across the board, but, um, like when I talked to the guys at old Ellsworth, they're like, dude, Queen Creek was all about, they were dead something out saying, Hey, we want a brewery coming to town. So they were doing everything they could to help, help totally. them. Um, and so each city totally. is different and, with that. And yeah. you know, the one thing we did learn that is huge is that, um, laws can be interpreted different ways. Okay. Um, and the interpretation that you have might be different than the city, so you go down and you talk to some of these guys in the city and the planning department or whatever. First of all, you know, try to become their friends right. and, you know, <laughs> treat them like as a human. Um, and they're not your enemy, right? They can be, but you don't have to get there. But yeah. if you approach them and show them your kind of vision or interpretation of the law that's on the book and say, you know, this is what I think it means, most of the time they're going to agree with you. Oh, if really you instead come into them and say, hey, what does this mean? They're going to tell you what they interpret the law to mean, ah, and then they're going to hold you to it. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. so I would come in with, you know, hey, this is what we think, and this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're planning for it. And yeah. most of the time they'll be like, okay, that sounds good, and they'll sign it. Yeah, interesting. That's good advice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so yeah. that that is, uh, yeah, that, that pays itself in, in spades for yeah. sure. <laughs> nice. So, and, and so when you guys started, you had seven beers. You had seven beers on tap. Um, the door is open. Is there anything we missed leading up to, to opening day? No, you know, you got, I mean, there's, there's, there's this whole like Goldilocks paradox of, you know, it, when is the right time to do anything? Yeah. And a lot of times I probably did things too early like branding and all that stuff and okay. probably jumped the gun a little bit and got it too early cause I was excited. I think we, we did hiring at the right time where it's like, you kind of want to have like a week or so before you open where you hire people. Cause you got to think you got to be willing to pay these people and they're, you're kind of stringing them along. Yeah. They might have other jobs. So, you know, when's the right time to bring them on full time. Yeah. And we, that was one of the things we did probably a little bit early with Preston too, was, you know, we, we approached him early on, like super early on. Um, 
and he ended up brewing at Big Sky for another year, I think, after oh, we gotcha. initially talked to him yeah. and then moved down to Phoenix and we still still weren't ready to open. So, you know, that was kind of frustrating. Um, that I think he was he had, here. Well, I think he had to pick up a job at like a, be a bartender somewhere. Gotcha, and, gotcha, yeah. You know, so um, there's every everybody's different and there's never a right time, but um, as much planning as possible was great, but everything changes, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So then you open. So you open the doors, staff right. is trained, you got beer on tap. Um, well, and let me, I want to say this too is uh, you were talking about when you're brewing and you're, you're, a lot of guys are going from a smaller system to a bigger system. Yeah. That's a great advantage of having Preston from him brewing at Dark Sky, right? I mean, Big Sky, yeah. Or, uh, yeah, Dark Yeah, yeah not <laughs> like Ryan. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dark Sky's like, what? He was here too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Big Sky, with him brewing on that big system, that helped totally. probably immensely, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine being where we are if we opened with someone who didn't have that level of experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I don't want to knock anybody, but, you know, having somebody with commercial experience is pretty crucial. If you want to be a commercial brewery, yeah, you should expect somebody to have commercial experience. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, because, you know, the the industry culture, or I guess our, our patrons are understanding as i mentioned but at the same time they're also savage <laughs> in <Yeah>. a sense <laughs> yeah. where you know if you're it's one thing to try to improve and to show you're improving and to use the best ingredients and hire the best people you can afford to make the best beer you can it's like going to a restaurant right if yeah. if they if they you know got a guy from domino's out there making your pizza you know at some nice pizza joint you know, you're probably going to be able to tell and you're like, why the hell didn't you hire an experienced <laughs> yeah. pizza guy? Right? Yeah. Um, right. So, I mean, the same goes for a brewery, right? It's treat them like a chef, you know, you're going to get what, you know, their experience and their capabilities are. Um, and I think Phoenix is hard because we don't have that. Or we haven't for a long time had that really great beer culture of like you go to Portland and there are, you know, good brewers falling out of trees. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like you, you can't shake a stick without hitting a, a brewer that has some yeah. really great experience. Whereas Phoenix, that's like non-existent, right? Yeah. yeah. It's very rare you find somebody with like good commercial experience. And if you do, you know, they, they come from two places, right? They're from Santan or they're from Four Peaks. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, they've been trained to brew certain beers and they do those beers really well. But I think if you... If you're thinking about opening a brewery and you want to be different, uh, you know, you, one, you have to, you know, have that vision of what are we going to do? What's going to stand out? What are we going to do? That's awesome. Yeah. And then who are we going to hire to make those beers that are going to be, you know, that's people are going to care about. Right. Um, you know, that, that's my position of, you know, always wanting to strive to be the best, of in the market is, you know, you gotta, you gotta pay for what you get. Um, at the same time, you know, there's probably business models where you can be middle of the pack. You can make great, you know, stand, quote, quote unquote, standard beers and have a successful business. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess maybe I should uh, put a caveat on this whole conversation of, you know, my my personal view on the whole market is. You know, if you're going to do something, do something worthwhile, yeah. you know, and really go out there and do something different yeah. um, and do something unique. And that doesn't have to be hazy IPAs and big stouts. It could be loggers. It could be yeah. wilds. It could be anything. Right. But whatever you're going to do, like 
do it really well. Yeah. It's just a good rule in life though, right? Right. Right. <laughs> right. Don't half-ass anything yeah. or, or do just enough, right, yeah. to get by. Right. Well, especially in a competitive market like like what craft beer is becoming, <laughs> I think especially in Arizona, now that there's a lot of places really raising their game up, you know what I mean? And totally. um, I mean, I, I, I want to do my part to help Arizona become a craft beer destination, but in order to do that, the, the whole the whole thing has to has to rise. Oh, for sure. You know, I think we're getting to that tipping point where, you know, we've already seen it. Some actually unique breweries like Toolbox, right, that are closing down. Yeah. Um, I think there's going to be a wave of uh, middle of the pack guys that start closing down, and I think it's going to be for a variety of reasons. One, it could be yeah that the beer is not super great, um, that they don't get a ton of butts and seats in there in their tap room or they're distributing too much or whatever, their pricing's wrong or something like that. But yeah. I think it, a lot of times it's probably going to be bad business planning and it's going to be too much overhead and, you know, uh, too many costs. And I think a lot of these places could probably stick around longer if they were to fix some of those, you know, business things. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I mean, from a general, you know, if you think of a 10,000 foot view, you know, there's a ton of breweries right now. There's a ton of breweries opening. You know, there, there's going to be a lot of the middle of the pack that are going to fall out of favor for one reason or another. Yeah. But I, I think that kind of strengthens it, though, right? It strengthens that, oh, for that sure. community. Yeah. yeah. So um, so one thing I was going to ask you, too, and, and I, I don't – sorry if I jump ahead too much um, and, and revert me back if you need to. But uh, when you open, mm-hmm. you're obviously going to get people. Like, how do you deal with, like – People. Yelp. <laughs> yeah, people. Oh, yeah. God. I, you know, I think, uh, you know, my wife would probably be interesting to get an opinion from. Uh, I think it's probably almost cause a divorce multiple times. Really? Just because. <laughs> so one of the things I am crazy obsessed with and passionate about is customer service. Okay. And I think anybody that knows me knows that. Uh, and that's what I do in my day job, too, at, at Intel is uh, customer service, customer loyalty, okay. basically. And that's part of the reason we started the society program anyways. But when it comes to, you know, opening and taking criticism, you know, you, you got to be professional. You can't, I know it feels good to tell somebody to go fuck themselves (laughs) and that they're stupid and that their palate is shit and they don't know what they're talking about. Right. And it's like, no, God damn it. That's the best Baltic Porter you'll ever have asshole. And you're wrong. (laughs) Right. Um, that that doesn't work for a business. <laughs> so I haven't I haven't said that before, yeah. and I uh, I won't say that. Oh, I hope I won't say that. Right. There, there could be a weak moment where I just snap and I just right. let everybody have it. But yeah, but uh, I'm gonna chop this episode up so it sounds like right. Yeah. Well, I've I've seen it where you know, you know, it, I sound old fogey, but you know, in this day of the internet, yeah. uh, you know, people will fucking screenshot your shit. They will screenshot your responses, your private responses oh, to people. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. will screenshot them and they will blast you. Yeah. And you will, there's no going back. You know, there, right. there's no going back from a screenshot no. where you you told somebody to get bent and, you know, <laughs> yeah. to go fuck off. Yeah. And they will blast you. And yeah. guess what? You know, the trolls will will see it and they will start, you know, casting their lines out and they'll, yeah. they'll start piling on, you know? Yep. And I... I I joke around with Preston and Bill all the time where, you know, if, if, uh, if some of these internet people, uh, I'm an internet person, uh, if, if <laughs> people on the internet, uh, you know, if they smell blood, 
they will attack, you know, and they will attack like a shark and it is just going to pile on. Right. And you get into this like death spiral and you're, you're toast. Right. Unless you, you know, have a good head on your shoulders and you're willing to just listen to people and see, you know, most of the time people are writing a bad review because they had a bad experience and you got to own up to it and you got to be like, okay, well, you know, guess what? It's probably my fault or it's, it's something I can do to improve this person's experience. So they came in and the bartender was a total dick and they had a bad experience or they came in and they couldn't get the beers they want because we sold out or they came in and the parking was shitty and they had to park down the street and somebody broke into their car. And, you know, you got, you got to, you got to empathize and you got to feel bad for these people because, you know, it happens to you too, right? You go to a place and you're like, wow, that fucking sucked. You know, that restaurant was terrible. I got food poisoning. I'm never going back again. Yeah. Like, fuck them, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, maybe maybe it's the owner's fault. And maybe, you know, he's a shitty owner. Or maybe, you know, they had a bad, you know, it was a fluke accident. And they had a bad batch of lettuce from Yuma or something, right? right? And they're like, <laughs> yeah. they feel really bad about it. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just all how you handle it, right? Yeah. Um, so I always, the golden rule is you got to respond fast. Yeah. So okay. as soon as as soon as somebody writes something, you gotta you gotta respond fast. You have to acknowledge them. You have to acknowledge why they're upset, and you have to apologize. Um, and you have to do that immediately. Yeah. Um, if you don't, you lose them. I mean, because they're on to the next shitty review. They're gonna leave, or they're you know they're off. You know, a lot of times you know we'll get a bad review, and it's from somebody from out of state, and they came in last night, and I I see it in the morning, and I'm like, oh shit, I gotta read it, reach out, and see what's going on, see how I can fix this and never hear from the person again. Right. Yeah. And they live in Chicago or something. So, you know, you, you lose some of those sometimes, but you just got to be on top of it. And I am probably on my phone 23 hours a day <laughs> and it's probably too much, but, yeah. but because I care a lot. And uh, the other thing is, you know, it's a good way to test quality. Um, you know, if somebody's reviewing on tap that your beer you know tastes like butter you know maybe you should look into that and maybe you should track down you know talk to your production staff test the beer maybe go to the account where they bought it and check the lines so we've had that before where you know somebody gets a bad pint of something from one of our accounts and we immediately call the account we go down to the account we check the beer we clean the lines we do all those things and we let we let that person know that commented that hey we're gonna go find out what's wrong with this and we're going to let you know yeah and oh by the way you know why don't you come down to the brewery and we'll buy you a pint and you know hopefully get you a better experience right yeah um because you can turn your perceived worst enemy into your you know your best friend your best patron because you already know that they're passionate and they're willing to go online to blast you right if you make them you know, a follower of yours and actually g- turn them around and give them a good experience, apologize, correct it. They can do the same thing for you tenfold positively, right? They can right. go tell all their friends like, Oh, these guys, you know, I had a shitty experience, you know, I, somebody spit in my drink or whatever, you know, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. And I went back, I, they apologized, they fixed it. They fired that person, whatever. Yeah. And now I'm forever, you know, a rent house person you know? because of the so, way you addressed it totally, and that you did address it. Right. Totally. Do you think that that um, I don't? Do you think that that's kind of going away? That our our yeah. old school mentality. <laughs> I, I think people just don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. Honestly, I've noticed that too. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, people are like, I, honestly, I mean, it happens in the industry all the time where they're like, you know, you hear it, they're like, oh, don't go on Untapped. Those people are fucking assholes or whatever, yeah. or, or don't listen to your your, your your Yelp reviews or or 
don't care or whatever. They're just trying to get something out of you or they're trying to get a free meal or a free drink or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, hypothetically say that's true. Say this person is trying to get me to comp them their meal. How much is a bad review worth to you? Is it, is it worth $20? Is, yeah. it, is it worth $30? It probably is, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's one thing if it's wildfire now, you know, after this podcast, everybody's <laughs> going to be giving me one-star Yelp reviews and yeah. I'm going to be like passing out free drinks. But I mean, that's one thing, right? And you got to call BS, you know, when, when there is BS. But um, yeah, you got to think about how much is it worth to you as a business to correct some of these things? Yeah. And a lot of times it's like a beer's worth or a lot of times it doesn't cost anything. You know, you, yeah. you, you can reason with a person and they'll be in the next week and they'll be buying a four pack. Right. Yeah. Uh, or you comp their bill and whatever you lose $5. I mean, yeah. that's worth to me a repeat customer yeah. and a happy customer. Well, and that's a good point. And even, even more so is, is first of all, the way you address it. Number one, the, the fact that you, that you do address it, but also, um, when people say stuff, there's typically a root of truth to that, yeah, right? So absolutely. unless you're stubborn, say, ah, oh, you know what? Yeah, maybe we can. Hey, is there anything we can do to make that IPA for sure? You know, better is it? You know, is there a way to balance whatever it is, right? Yeah. If you're open-minded about it, that's totally. it's going to help you grow immensely for sure. And yeah. one of the books that I read, um, actually getting ready to open my own business was um, I forget what it's called, but it was like the biography of the guy that opened the Four Seasons hotels. Okay. And his whole book is basically like a tribute to customer service. And the whole book, he is just like, the way he trains his staff at the Four Seasons is, I think, the way every small business owner should train their staff. I mean, it's like literally no question or no request is too, you know, too crazy. You at least listen to it and acknowledge it. Yeah. You try to make it happen. But, you know, I'll get people that will message me out of nowhere from like, you know, Utah or even Canada or something like, Hey, we're passing through. We're going to, we're going to be a day late to your release. Is there any way you could maybe hold a four pack for us? Yeah. I could easily just ignore it or yeah. I could be like, no, sorry, go pound sand. Like right. we're selling it. <laughs> yeah. We're too popular. Sorry. Yeah. But I will, I'll put a four pack aside and you know, if they come in great, if they don't, they don't, but they'll come and they'll buy it. And you wouldn't believe, I mean, the, the nicest messages you get. And then guess what? They go home and they're going to tell everybody they know, like how how great of an experience they had, yeah. right? So I think being flexible, listening, caring—I mean, you got to care. I mean, this is a this is a public business, right? I mean, yeah. our whole business is based on you know, serving people, right? So right. you you got to have that mindset. And if you don't, you're in the wrong business, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Just go distribution and forget about it right. or something. <laughs> yeah. So how do you how do you instill that into into your staff? Like when you're when you're training, hiring, all that stuff. How does that come across? Like how do you yeah, get that I mean across? it's you know you, you try to you know when you hire you try to hire for excellence and you try to hire people that share similar mindsets as you and you ask them what they think about customer service or how they handle customer complaints and things like that and that's great but I think in reality what happens is you know, you'll have those situations that come up and even at your most seasoned bartender will have a bad day and will not treat a customer in the right way. Yeah. And I think it's all about the corrective action. So it's, it's talking to that bartender and being like, Hey, uh, what, you know, what happened with this 
you know, one star review we got, they called you out by name. Like, yeah. <laughs> can you tell me about it? Like what's going on? Yeah. And they'll tell you about it. And they're like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, is there another way we could have approached it or handled it? Or maybe, you know, maybe we shouldn't have, you know, kicked them out or we should have. Right. <laughs> or, or there's a way to explain that we're out of something versus just telling somebody, Oh, it's sold out. Maybe you can be like, Oh, you know, like we just sold out of it. Like, so sorry, but we have this other beer that's just like it and you can get any crawler to go. Like yeah. that is a much different conversation than just telling somebody, Oh, we're sold out. No, right. We don't have it. And we don't, yeah, we don't have it. Sorry. I'm busy. Yeah, uh, right. anything else you want to be? No? Okay. See you. Bye. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's more just like instilling that perspective in sure. your, in your employees. Cause a lot of our guys uh, and gals aren't industry experts, you know, yeah. Hilda, one of our main bartenders and Tyler, right. Yeah. They had zero bartending experience. So I hired them more for their dedication, their work ethic, and yeah. that they can get along with people more sure. than, hey, I've been a bartender at, you know, Rock Bottom for 10 years or something, right? right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's all about it's all about how you come across as an owner, especially, because they're going to follow whatever you do, right? Yeah. So you set the tone. And if I'm an asshole, which, you know, I might be, but like if I... <laughs> If I am mean to customers and they know the way I approach customers and my responses online and all the stuff, you know, they're going to think that's okay and they're going to do it too, yeah. right? But if I'm always the guy that's trying to make things happen, that works with people, that, you know, apologizes when it's appropriate and all, you know, they're going to do the same too, right? So Yeah. When it's creating that culture as well, right? Because yeah. if you're like, you know, how you are, and there's somebody that's not like that here, they're going to be miserable. They're not going to want to be here. Totally. If they even make it through that process at the beginning. Totally. Right? If, totally. And, and yeah. they will slip through. I mean, you'll get an employee that looks amazing on paper, and yeah. they can tank your business. I mean, yeah. we, we've had some bartenders that haven't been great, and... I think one in particular, I won't say their name, but <laughs> I got like three one-star Yelp reviews in a row, like three days in a row, and they all called out this specific bartender. Oh, and I man. was just like, man, you got to go. Yeah. Like, we can't have this. I mean, it's it's one thing if it's a one-off and sure. it's a misunderstanding, but I mean, and you got to, yeah, you got to just, I mean, you just got to <laughs> bite the bullet and do it. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. So, uh, okay, so everything's up and running now you're dealing with the with the yelp reviews right people's yeah. feedback untapped <laughs> trip advisor google was facebook was there a lot at the beginning like when um, you guys first opened yeah you always get a flood because there's there's a certain group of yelpers that like to go check out new places yeah i mean or and that like to review new places i should say sure um, so trying to manage expectations is a big thing um, i do that with beers too try to manage expectations of what something's going to taste like is okay. very hard to do, sure. <laughs> but you try to set that up front. So people know what they're expecting and whether or not they want to spend money on coming to your place and trying that thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, trying to set expectations and being open and warm and, you know, making sure people have a great time. And, you know, even you have a rule book that says, you know, don't fill this beer or don't show people the brewery during hours. Cause it's, you know, whatever, but, uh, you know, try to make little exceptions if, you know, people are in for the first time and give them yeah. a good experience. Um, and, you know, we did get a lot of, like, four-star reviews in the beginning, three stars, just, like, average, front of the pack. And yeah. we had a lot of heart-to-hearts as a staff. I mean, like, you know, we got to be better than this. we got to show people a good time. Um, so, 
so yeah, I mean, we take that stuff to heart. And if I get a bad review, uh, our staff knows about it right. immediately. <laughs> right. um, so yeah. And, I'm going to create a fake account and, now. And they're aware, okay. right? Yeah. yeah. And they're aware. And they're very proud that I think we got written up, I think it was in Money Magazine or CNN or something, but it was like, uh, or Time Magazine, like best breweries according to Yelp, right? Yeah. And that was a big win for us because it proved that everything we were doing and how OCD I was about this stuff was was true, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so I'm not crazy, and then it does matter. Yeah. Um, and I think the staff loved that, right? Because they feel ownership in that, right? Because yeah. they're the ones that are responsible for those good reviews, That's right? True. Because if I'm coming in and having a beer on a Tuesday at Rent House, I'm going to be hanging out with Serena behind the bar, and I'm going to yeah. be talking to Serena for my afternoon, right? Or yeah. if I'm new to town, she's going to be my first point of contact, my eyes and ears of what's going on in Phoenix, right? So yeah. it's important, and they do a great job. So yeah, it matters a lot. And, and that's that's true, too, because, like, I mean, you can, you know, let's say you put one of your guys' IPAs uh, up against, like, a Tombstone IPA, sure. right? Um, both very great beers. But, you know, if somebody comes in here and, and they're talking to Serena, on paper, those beers may be super close, but they could leave saying, dude, that was the best IPA I ever had just based on that experience they had from her. Yeah. Yeah. How many times have you, you know, we talked about it before we started this, you know, you've been in a new city and you've been at a coffee shop or you've been at a restaurant and the environment and the waiter or the whoever influences your total opinion of that place significantly. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, I went to. You know, I went to Holy Mountain in Seattle and I had some beers, but you know what? That bartender was amazing. He told me the story. He showed me around the brewery. He did all these different things, right? He gave me extra samples. He let me take home a bottle that was on site only. Like those things, like, you know, make you a forever follower of yeah. somewhere. Or the opposite. Right? Or the opposite. Or, yeah. If it, if right. Yeah. Like, I dude, met this I've bartender, this fucking asshole. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, I bought one beer and I left. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I've heard so many good things about right. this place. And I won't be knows. back, right? Yeah, yeah, no. exactly. Um, so so now for you guys, uh, well, one thing that, um, I mean, this wall behind you is a homage to this. And this is, what was Preston's wife's name again? Lauren. Lauren, yeah. right? So she does all the design. Yeah. I love it, dude. Yeah. I love the can art is is some of my favorites. So yeah, she does a great job. How, and you guys even have... Um, Oh, you used to, I don't see, is, the, is it around the corner, the case with the cans in it? Oh, we have them hung up around the, okay. uh, around the tap room now. So yeah. how, um, with, with you, I know with you, you're, you're uh, a stickler for branding, right? Yeah, and for that, sure. That we talked about the before, the clean white and black with a lot of white yeah, space. Yeah, totally timeless, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but then you got the, this, this can art, and it's, it, it all feels Ren House. Despite sure. the good boy Wally compared to Jolene compared yeah. to Pythi. Totally. So how does that, how do you bring yeah, it all together? You know, I think, um, I think branding, you know, I know we haven't really talked about it, but that it's huge, right. For a brewery, especially a new brewery. I mean, people will make a presumption about your business based on your look, right. And your sure. brand. And you know, the running joke is, you know, people are going and buying IPAs based on the can art and inside it, it's a shitty beer or something, <laughs> yeah, right? It's yeah. like, oh, or it's like the same beer that the brewery's made a hundred times and they just changed the can art, right? Yeah. Um, but people still buy it because the can art's cool or right. something or it's, you know, people people like it for whatever reason. So it's super important, right? And I think, you know, Pueblo Vita is probably the best example of that in the state. I mean, 
I, I love their branding. I think it's yeah. amazing and it's right. clean and it's, it's them. They've created their own sort of brand sure. out of it. Um, so that's, that's crucial, right? So yeah. spend the extra money and get a good, um, designer, you know, I know a lot of people like to do it in house. Um, and you can kind of tell when it's in house, yeah. you know? I don't want to <laughs> slam anybody, but sure. I mean, it's, you gotta be serious, you know, people yeah. will make assumptions based on, you know, it's like how people judge other people, like yeah. people, yeah. like somebody's going to judge me based on how I look, not who I am. Right. Sure. So yeah. You got to do that with uh, beer, right? Yeah, right, right. So, you, yeah. you know, the, the taste is one thing. You know, once they open the beer, it's going to taste great, whatever. But you got to make it look cool and you got to make it um, consistent. You know, you got to create a series. Like, we, we knock out a new beer every week. But, yeah. um, you know, having the same designer helps you create that same sort of theme um, or personality to the That's brand. That's a good point. That's a good point. So, despite the differences in all of the all of these of ha having that same design, that's where that next. Yeah, I think, and you can tell because the one, so the one big different one that we've had um, was actually d designed by my brother-in-law called Highway Vacay, and it was oh, a yeah. triple collab with Pure and Mumford. Okay, I but anyways, if one, you yeah. see that, if you see that label, you'll immediately tell that it's different than our normal rent house stuff, and that's, that's right. because it was done by a different designer. Every designer has their own sort of uh, feel. Um, so, you know, I guess find a good one that you like yeah. and then trust them to, you know, go with you for the long haul and they'll love it. Right. You're giving yeah. them business a lot. Yeah. Right. I mean, every week you're doing new labels. Um, but yeah, pick somebody you like and stick with them, I think. Yeah. Well, that, that segues into the, the other thing. <laughs> one, one of the things you guys are uh, have a huge following for um, can releases. Yeah. Right. That's that's. That's a pretty simple process to do, sure. right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that was, um, I mean, the funny thing is, so we started doing the Crowler releases like um, Wilderness was, was doing at the time, the 32-ounce Crowlers, oh, okay. and we would... That's what you started with? We would label them, yeah, like okay. uh, Spellbinder, right? We did 32-ounce okay. release. We did Peaches and Cream. Uh, I think those were the only two we did in Crowlers. Um, okay. But anyways, we, it was a money thing, right? We didn't have enough capital to pay a canning company to come and you know they charge like a thousand dollars a session right so yeah. to us that was like on paper it didn't really make sense we're like okay well we can sell this beer by the pint for six dollars by the can we can only sell it for four dollars that same beer and on top of that we have to pay extra overhead we have to pay for the can the label and the actual sure. canner yeah right. so how does that make sense and my business partner bill would say that he'd be like on paper this doesn't make sense and i said well I understand that it doesn't make sense, <laughs> but um, one, I think to be a respectable microbrewery now, you have to can, and two, it's going to bring in a lot of new people, um, and you're going to get um, additional sales, right? Somebody's going to come in to buy that four-pack, but they're going to have a pint. They're going to buy a shirt. They're going to buy, you know, a hat. They're going to, you know, you're going to get other, other things, right? And just to me as a business owner, the hardest the hardest thing to do is to get somebody to come in. Yeah. Right. And once they're in, you can control that experience, but trying to just even to get them to walk in the door is the hardest part. Yeah. So can releases help do that. Yeah. Right. It helps bring in new people, people sure. that are like, Oh, first time I saw even this, this last weekend, right. We had happy to donut and it, it was like an approachable, relevant thing for most Americans. Right. It's yeah. like donuts. Oh, I like donuts. <laughs> yeah. It's a beer. Oh, I like beer. Okay. Right. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> so we got all these, a ton of new people that came in and it was like, 
I think I looked at the numbers, it was like 60% new people that came in. So you're like, wow, that's amazing. And that, that's the reason you can, right? Because, you know, by the numbers, it doesn't make sense. But if you look at it holistically, you're bringing, you're getting a lot of new people. And on top of that, for me, it was more of a marketing thing of once you start canning, now guess what? You can send these across the country and get other people interested in Renhouse and you can get people in New York talking about Renhouse. You can get people in Montana talking about it. And guess what? When they come to Phoenix where they have friends in Phoenix, they're going to come here, right? Because they've had it and they like it. Um, So, so, you know, that's the reason we, we did start canning. Same thing with bottling, you know, bottling is a whole nother thing. Um, We limit that to our, you know, single barrels now, but um, you know, it's a, it's a big labor intensive thing. I mean, you, you have to pay multiple people like a full day salary just to bottle a beer. Right. So it's, it's not cheap. Um, and then add on to that. If there's God, you know, heaven forbid there's something wrong with the bottle or something wrong with the can, you got to refund all that stuff. Right. So it's a, it's a scary thing, right? Cause you're committing a whole lot of beer into these cans. And if there's something wrong with the can, you're, you're shit out of luck, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. we did that with predation where we canned predation. It was a stout and pure stout and 12 ounce cans. I think it was a mix of the format and the, um, the lower carb nature of imperial stout and the seams weren't quite right on a lot of the cans. And we basically had to cancel the release and we've held them for in-house only because we can control, you know, the temperature. Cause the, the worst scenario is, you know, somebody buys a four pack of predation. As soon as they walk out that door, you're still responsible for that beer and they could leave it in their car for a day. They could put it in a box and ship it to their buddy in Milwaukee or whatever. Right. And you're responsible for that beer until somebody drinks it. Right. Um, so we weren't confident that once it left our location that we could control the quality. So that's, you know, was a decision where, you know, we had to eat a lot of, labor and cost and hold on to it for a long time. And, um, I mean, it's worked out in the end, but, um, yeah, canning and packaging in general is a very hard thing. Well, I, uh, I know doc over pedal house is huge on, he even did a beer one one about dumping beer. <laughs> he, oh yeah. He adds it in, it's in his like yearly budget. Like, oh, he's, absolutely. He's like, if I don't dump this percentage, I'm, I'm looking back saying, did I, Right. Did I sell something that wasn't perfect? Well, yeah. I mean, so one of the other jobs I had opening this place was um, sales. So I did all of our sales. Oh, really? (laughs) So I I would get in my little Jetta and throw in some kegs and go sell beer to some accounts. And, you know, I'm not uh, too proud to admit that, you know, we we had some beer that wasn't up to par, you know, and um, there were a couple of beers that showed uh, like diastole basically um, a few days after they were packaged in kegs. So I had, a, you know, the beer that I had sold an account that tasted great two days ago, you know, when we're tasting at the tap room and I noticed check-ins on tap that aren't so great. Yeah. Uh, I had to go back to those accounts and buy the beer back. And that is one of the most humbling and embarrassing things <laughs> you'll ever do, right? Sure. Because you're new. You're yeah. this new guy who people are like, you know, why the fuck should I buy your beer in the first place? Yeah. And you convince them to buy it. And then three days later, you got to go back to this guy and be like, sorry, that beer's bad. Right. <laughs> and I'm right. going to take it back. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, really? Are you fucking kidding me? They're yeah. most of the time. One, they appreciate it sure. and they will thank you. And yeah. they say, thank you for caring enough about your beer. Yeah 
to come here and to tell me whatever that right. the, the beer's not good, right? Yeah. And thank you for telling me. Some some places aren't as uh, forgiving, <laughs> right. and they will tell you to go pound sand and that hey, uh, you know, I think some people told me that you know contact me when you're you know when your beer's clean or something like that, right? Yeah. Or like when you're when you make better beer, and it was. I mean, that's a shot to the uh, gut, right? Yeah. And that is, I mean, that kills you, right? Yeah. I think if anything for us, it, it lit a fire to say, never let that happen again. Sure. But, yeah. you know, from time to time brewing, you know, you're working with yeast and temperatures and all this stuff. And yeah, we do have to dump beer from time to time. Um, and Doc's right. I mean, you should be, as, as a responsible brewer and brewery owner, you, if something's not the way you want it to be uh, and not good, Importantly, you should dump it, right? No yeah. sour stouts or any of that stuff, right? You you should own up to it and get rid of it, because if anything, that that beer is going to haunt you online for the next month or two yeah. while people are still drinking it and it's floating around out there. And yeah. you think you've forgotten about the beer, then all of a sudden somebody's drinking it in you know Minnesota, and you're like, oh shit, yeah, like <laughs> damn it, yeah. You know, I, I thought I controlled that, and it, some yeah. of it got out or whatever, right? Um, so yeah, it's a it's a serious thing. Which for sure. I feel like it's more dangerous out out in the wild, right? Because oh, yeah. because someone is goes into a place and they're just like, oh yeah, I want an IPA. Like, oh, we got this rent house, a restaurant, a guy that wouldn't normally come in the tap room and taste everything, sure. right? Um, goes there and they taste that, and you were just like, nah, fuck it, like we'll just leave that on totally. top there. That's what he no, gets. I, I had That's one like three days ago where somebody was drinking a resilience up at uh, an account. I guess I won't name that, name yeah. that account, but. Um, <laughs> Their comment was exactly, you know, they give us like a three star and they were like, oh, it was, you know, average, but I think there might be something off with the beer. Um, I expected more out of Ren House as my first Ren House beer. And I was like, God damn it. Yeah. Like, this is this is my nightmare. Right. Yeah. So I wrote the guy and I was like, you know, hey, we're going to go look at it. We're going to go up to the count, taste the beer, clean the line, see what's going on. But, you know, sorry that that was your first experience. You know, please come down to the brewery and we'll, you know, make it up to you sort of yeah. thing. But and those things happen and you, yeah. you can't, I mean, we've, we've gotten ahead of it. We're now, we're servicing a lot more accounts where we can make sure the lines are clean and stuff because sure. you wouldn't believe, you know, when I was doing sales, you know, initially going to some of these places and you're like, I can't believe I've drank draft beer here before. It's <laughs> fucking disgusting. When you're behind the, the yeah, you're you like, uh, your line, I can't clean your line because it's full of shit. So, oh, man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So anyways, uh, that happens and that is a serious thing that you got to worry about. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, Cause yeah, at the end of the day, it's your brand, right. And it's sure. your beer, no matter how somebody stores it, if some dude left it in the trunk of his car for a week or something, yeah. and then he drinks it in Mexico and he's like, Hey man, this tastes like shit. What's going on? You know, you, you gotta you gotta accept responsibility for it, yeah. and you know, try to fix it. That's a hard one, though, right? Because you're <laughs> yeah. like, dude, it was in your fucking trunk. Well, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I know. You, you, can't, right. you, can't, right. you can't say that. Yeah. Right. Um, one thing we were talking about before uh, is uh, membership <clears throat> programs, right? Sure. So that's something that is that is uh, highly coveted with Ren House is the Saguaro Society. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, somebody who's thinking of. You know, whether you're open brewery or you're going to open a brewery, what's what's that like to yeah. start that? Well, I, I will say that, um, you know, the society for us has been amazing. And I'll go on record saying I love it. Um, <laughs> at the same time, it's a double-edged sword for sure. So you're, you're basically committing a lot of your production and a lot of your resources. And what, what kills me the most and 
you know, I, I have no room to complain because this is a decision we made. But, um, you know, we basically, f after year one, we now only sell barrel-aged beer to a very small group of people. Okay. Uh, they're great people, and they are our top followers, and that's yeah. why they're in the society. And they enjoy the beer, and they love it, and they share it, and all that's great. But it's it's hard to have a conversation on a daily basis when people come in and they see members picking up beer or they see barrel-aged beer in the cooler or whatever that they can't have, it's a constant conversation of, you know, what the society is and what it's about. And most of the time people are like, oh, I want to sign up next year or something like that, which is great. But, um, you know, it, to me, I want to share that beer with as many people as possible. And I guess the nature of a society, you just don't do that, which yeah. is fine. Um, at the same time, it's it's been amazing in that, you know, you have a group of people that are sort of buying in to your full year of production and they're saying, you know, hey, Renhouse, whatever you put in barrels, I want it and yeah. I want to drink it. And I trust you enough that you're going to be making good beer. You're not going to try to sell me shit. You're not going to try to pass off something on me yeah. that it's these things are you know, a lot of times it's single barrel releases. You're putting a lot of time and money and effort into these things um, for us. Right. So. So it's huge, and you create a, a really great following as long as you don't screw it up. Because there's yeah. examples of member clubs that uh, have been worst enemies for some breweries, right? Because they over-promise and they under-deliver, or they sell infected beer, or the beer's not that great, or, you know, there's a million reasons, right? Um, so, you know, to me, it's it's kind of a loaded question. I think a lot of people do mug clubs where it's more like a discount for regular customers that sure. come in you get a discount on your pints and you have a mug and whatever um the other thing is like legal from a legal perspective at the time we were under the understanding that you can't pre-sell beer uh in arizona interesting um that's sort of a gray area but yeah. um so we do kind of do that now but um you know, I, I think it's a good way to build a following as long as you're ready to commit the resources to do it, right? Yeah, so yeah. we, you know, barrels aren't cheap. The beer that sits in them aren't cheap. The space that they sit in isn't cheap. Um, you got to dedicate employees to, you know, managing uh, emails and pickups and, you know, expectations sure. of, of these guys because not only are they, they paying for a premium service, they're expecting a premium experience, right? Sure. When yeah. they come in, they expect to be treated well. Um, they expect to, you know, be known by name. They expect to be waited on in a appropriate amount of time, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you're, you're committing to a lot. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. You know, you start a club and, you know, you think, oh, it's, you know, it's a good way for people to buy our barrel-aged stuff or whatever. But, um you're committing to a lot more than that. And that, that's kind of goes, goes back to my, you know, angst with Kickstarter is like, you're, you're, you're committing to a lot up front. You got to make sure that you're delivering on those commitments. Right. So you guys, the Saguaro society, how far into, how far into you guys opening? Did you guys start it? Um, so I think we started at year two, our first club and we started with a hundred members and I think it lasted a couple days. Okay. Before people bought in, we had we had done a couple barrel aged beers, but it wasn't, uh, you know, some of those those hundred people um, had been in enough that they were confident that we would keep making barrel aged beers and keep making good beers. Yeah. 
And that was our stake in the ground that, hey, we were going to start doing this as a business and focus on it a lot, right? Yeah. And then, so year two, we opened it up to, I think, 125 members and then, or 150. And then this last year, it's around our third year of the membership, um, we opened it up to 200, I want to say. And, um, you know, we sold out, I think, technically before we opened <laughs> yeah um, yeah which you know was something that i probably messed up i we had started a waiting list and i messaged everybody on the waiting list and said you know hey we're gonna go live at nine o'clock for sales and by the way uh wink wink the site opens up at eight fifty five. um so by the time eight fifty seven rolled around we were sold out and i was like fuck ah, <laughs> man, yeah. so yeah. then you got a lot of angry people that are like hey sure. buddy you told me that it was nine o'clock like Fuck I you. logged in at eight yeah. fifty. Yeah, well, that's and not only not only fuck you personally, but fuck Ren House, right? And ah, like screw yeah. you guys, right? So that you know that was a learning experience. So it's all gonna be random from now on, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so let the computers handle it. People can't blame computers. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's a good point too because I, I remember that this year and I was like, damn, dude, they sold out like quick. Yeah. Uh, that's the other side of it, though, right? Is you're hoping it's successful. And then once it is successful and you have that high demand, right. that's another management system of its own. You know? Yeah, I know. It's Again, it's all about like managing expectations, right? I mean, I, we intentionally don't promote the society and we intentionally don't promote society beers to the public because yeah. we don't want to create that FOMO yeah. or that rubbing it in people's faces sure. that it might seem like of... Hey, check out this new barrel-aged beer we got coming out. Oh, by the way, you can't have it. It's for <laughs> yeah, members. Right. Uh, so good luck next year. Right. Uh, so I think I don't think that's polite yeah, to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I intentionally don't do it. And we have a member page that we post that stuff to. Okay. Um, and members share that stuff. And I think that's how word gets out is if you know, people hear about it or people see those beers at shares and they're like, oh, that's great. How do I get in? How sure. do I become a part of this? Yeah. And then, you know, over the course of a year, you build up this group of people that are excited to, to join. Right. And yeah. then, you know, you got to manage that. Um, but yeah, I mean, society for us has been amazing. and I, I love it. Um, and that's what I do in my day job too. Right. I manage a society of sorts um, yeah. at my corporate job. And I think it's a way to create really great relationships with some of your best customers um, so for that, I would highly recommend it. But again, there's a lot of strings attached and you got to be willing to, you know, commit Do and yeah. fulfill <laughs> yeah. those things. Yeah. So a uh, question about, so with you, both you and Bill are still at your full-time jobs, yeah. right? So advice for people who, because the excitement is right. And you, you guys are Renhouse, dude. You guys are, you know, arguably the top brewery in the state. And to hear that the two of the owners are still at their because people want to just be like, dude, we open a brewery later. Peace out. I'm yeah, out of this job. Totally. So how, how do you deal with that? You know, from our point of view, you know, one, we love our day jobs. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's a constant challenge. We work with great people. It's a great company. It, you know, does all those things, right? So um, that's one piece of it. The second piece of it is we didn't want to burden the business with ourselves you know like we could manage it you know appropriately from or how we do it today yeah where we don't necessarily need to quit our day jobs and come on full-time at the brewery and be like taking a salary right gotcha. because i think that takes away from our capability to experiment our capability to expand uh to buy a building to 
buy new equipment, to buy new products, whatever. Like it really limits. And, you know, hiring new employees, especially, right? Because our payroll is our number one expense here, right? So I think one, we kind of feel that like guilt of like not wanting to do that. And I think (laughs) from a business point of view, it kind of makes sense. You know, I I always wonder like where could Renthouse be if I was full time or if Bill was full time? Could it could it amplify some of the things we're doing and get us somewhere faster and help grow the business and all the stuff. But, um, so far we've decided that no, you know, that's not the case that the folks that we have here working here can manage the day-to-day operations. Gotcha. Perfectly fine. And then we don't need to jump ship anytime soon. And it helps that you like your day job. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, yeah, I help my, I, I like my day job, but at the same time, you know, you, it's kind of that entrepreneurial mindset where you're, you're burning the candle on, you know, not only both ends, but if, you know, if there's more ends to a candle, you'd be burning all of them. Cause <laughs> yeah. you know, you got your, you got your family, um, you have your friends, you have your personal life, you know, your, your health and your fitness or your personal, uh, you know, Outlets, things you like to do. Like yeah. That. Right. Hobbies. Then you have your business and then you have your day job. So you have, yeah. you've got these like five things going on yeah. and you can really only do three of them yeah. well. Right. So yeah. you got to kind of pick. Um, so for me, it's been, you know, my day job and my business and my family. And yeah. I've kind of let my friends and my personal hobbies go by the wayside. Right. Like yeah. I don't have a hobby. I don't have friends really. <laughs> it sounds sad, but I, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I've, I've, friends of the brewery and stuff, but sure. it's not like I go, uh, hang out with my buddies on Friday night yeah. and get a drink. Right. Right. Like that doesn't exist. And right. that hasn't existed <laughs> for years. Yeah. Uh, if you find me outside the brewery, I'm either working at my day job or I'm with my family doing toddler stuff. Right. right like right. going to the park. Right. Yeah. And that's like my existence. Um, yeah. so you just got to find that balance. I mean, it's going to be different for everybody. I mean, maybe you're lucky enough where you're single, uh, you don't have a family, uh, you don't really care about friends. You don't have any hobbies and you're like, dude, full time. I'm like going head into this business. Yeah. I'm going to make this a thing. Or, you know, you could be a social butterfly. have all these friends. And you're like, friends are important to me. I, yeah. I gotta keep up with my friends and you know, other stuff's going to suffer. Right. So sure. yeah, you got kind of these knobs, you get a turn and you can only turn them so much. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm probably a shitty friend. So <laughs> and I'm boring. <laughs> <Yeah>. so. <laughs> well, you know, I think over the last couple of years of of you know uh, growing with with the podcast and, and all the things that that uh, Luke and I are working on, um, I think balance is a myth. Like, oh you know, yeah, it doesn't you, exist. You yeah. th- no. something's gonna suffer while something else is up, and then that's gonna suffer while oh, this yeah. other. You know, oh, yeah. it's oh yeah. yeah, you're you're never gonna make everybody happy. No. Uh, yeah, it's a constant trade off. Um, you don't get to do the things you want to do when right. you want to do them. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like other things come first. You just got to prioritize. And unfortunately, uh, you know, if you want to have a successful business, uh, you got to prioritize the things that aren't fun. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's like, shit, I don't want to do this. All right. I need to do that first then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. What about, um, uh, expansion, right? With, mm-hmm. with, you know, you guys really growing and just creating that, that, um, the reputation that you guys have. I mean, I'm sure people ask you all the time, well, when's the next tap room open and when's it, you know, yeah. how do you manage that? Yeah. You know, we've, um, we've intentionally again, tried to stay small and go step by step. Like we say baby steps, right? We, yeah. we do things very methodically and very slowly. So like the new thirties that we got in, uh, 
it may sound like a lot and like online I was fielding some questions from people that are like, Oh, stay true to yourselves, we're in house, don't like get too big and they're like, Well, real in reality we kinda just added one extra tank. Uh, so it's like not a lot, right? And we're still super small. Sure. Um so uh you know, at the you know, I say that, but we did just buy a second building, right? Um and uh it's close to here. So we'll share okay. details about that nice. in the future. But okay. it's small, right? Yeah. It's another small building. So it's a it's another baby step um, that we're going to be doing loggering and barreling at, right? Yes. And it's it's something that we can manage ourselves. It's something that we don't need a big loan for. It's something that um, we can we can wrap our arms around it as we are. Not you know we didn't buy like a twenty thousand square foot uh, you know warehouse where we're you know rent houses going to two hundred barrel production you know whatever. Right. We're not doing that. We're we're keeping small, and we're just trying to do the things that we know how to do and do them well. And I think this new place is going to focus on knocking out more loggers, knocking out more barrel aged beer, and have a very small, intimate tap room with hopefully a patio uh, this time. Nice, so, nice, yeah. <laughs> so that you know, uh, patio is like yeah. I can't even imagine if that'll happen, but um, that's like my dream. Um, but it'll probably be like a 20 seat tap room, right? So small. Okay. So we're, you know, staying true to ourselves and who we are. And, uh, you know, it's hard to see, I don't want to say hard, but it's, it's, uh, you know, you see other breweries opening up larger spaces and doing these big, great things. And you're like, Oh man, we got to do that. And you're like, well, maybe we don't have to do that. Right. Right. We we don't have to play that game just because they're playing it. Right. We can do our own thing. We can move into a up and coming part of town and, uh, you know, be comfortable and, and do what we want to do. Right. Yeah. So I think that's also kind of the, you know, silver lining in this whole thing is, you know, know what you stand for and stay true to it and don't, don't, you know, sell out in the, in the literal sense of, you know, going and selling out to Anheuser-Busch, but like don't sell out on your, uh, you know, your, your ideals and your morals and that sort of thing of, yeah you know, do what you want to do and stick to it. Right. And like I said, like make sure that whatever that thing you do is great. Right. Right. Make sure you do it well. And it's something that you want to do, right? Like you yeah. said, don't look at other people saying, Oh shit. It's oh, the, yeah. the keeping up with the Joneses I mean, thing. Right? One of the yeah. other things that you're going to get, if you're, you know, starting this business or you've just started, you're going to get people out of the fucking woodworks that are coming to you with money that are like, Hey, I want to invest or, Hey, I've got this property for you or, Hey, I've, you know, like I want to give you guys a bunch of money to go expand or, Hey, I want to import your beer to, you know, Tijuana or, you know, what, like (laughs) all these crazy things, right? You you get all these opportunities left and right constantly. And you just got to be good at saying no and sticking to your guns. Right. I mean, we have national chains that come to us to ask if they can carry our beer. And it's, it's a hard conversation, right? Sure. Because it's like, yeah. wow, you, really? You want to, you want to carry our beer at, you know, Applebee's or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how much do we have to commit to? It's like thousands of barrels, but I mean, there's people that'll jump at that. Right. Yeah. But you know, maybe that's okay for them and that's part of who they are. But I think, I think I would be personally let down if I saw Ren House at yeah. <laughs> TGI Fridays God or something. damn it, Ren House. Come <laughs> on, man. I mean, it'd be convenient, but <laughs> yeah. you know, I, yeah. uh, I don't think that's who we are. Right. You know, that's, that's not what we try to do. We'd rather have our beer on at a local restaurant or bar and, um, places that also appreciate local and, you know, strive to support the local community. So, and that's, that's what we stand for and that's what we'll continue doing. And do you guys have anything? I mean, is there, there's gotta be something in the business plan that kind of helps guide you guys, right? Like, you know, big companies have the, you know, their, 
um, I've been out of corporate for about a year yeah. and I think I forgot everything, right? <laughs> All good. the buzzwords, but what it was like your mission or your vision or the, oh, sure. the buzzwords, right? That like you guys have something that yeah. helps to guide decisions when it comes to those hard ones. Um, you know, yeah, you know, I think it's the number one thing for us is quality, okay. um, that guides everything we do. So, yeah. um, you know, we don't, we don't do patchwork things. We don't, I mean, we, if we're going to do something, we're going to do it well and we're going to spend the money to, to do it. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I think Preston's a big Jurassic Park fan, so he was says spare no expense, but it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we commit a lot of resources into making sure that that is done well. Um, so quality is for sure our guiding thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, quality, excellence, um, customer experience, all those things. And then we, we do have, you know, I, I think our, our official slogan is like, uh, I'm forgetting it now, but it's, uh, something with Arizona roots, right? So it's, yeah. um, you know, we do focus on quality, but we want to stay true to Arizona and we want to make, yeah. make an Arizona place. And, you know, I know people probably think of wilderness as like the Arizona brewery and, Sure. They, they incorporate a lot of that stuff really well into what they do, right? Um, I think we're a little different flavor of Arizona. We're, we're, we're a different Arizona. Yeah. We're like in a new age Arizona where it's like, yeah. you know, this, I, I think the happiest reviews that we get or the comments is, you know, I never knew a place like this existed in Arizona. It reminds me of X, Y, and Z. It reminds me of Seattle. It reminds me of Portland. It reminds me of the East Coast. Um, and even Rob Fulmer has said that too. It's like, you know, we're kind of elevating, um, what Arizona breweries can be or should be. Um, it's, you know, we don't have to have a restaurant. We don't have to have a ton of seats. We don't have to be in a strip mall. We don't have to do any of these things, right? We want to focus on, you know, we're, we're staffed by Arizona people. We're staffed by transplants from other States, which is very Arizona where sure. <laughs> we buy local grain. We use, you know, a lot of local suppliers for other ingredients. Um, we support local businesses, local communities. Um, we do a lot of, um, nonprofit things or we volunteer at boys and girls club. We do all these things, right. To be local. And I think that does a lot for your brand too. Right. So you get to know, other local movers and shakers and, sure. you know, get them to care about your product and your business and get, you know, Bianco to care about you is a big thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a big strategy for us too, or a big piece of who we are is, you know, being true to where we are and what's around us and who yeah. we are. I'm from here. I'm born and raised and my family's got a lot of businesses here and, you know, get and all that stuff. Right. So we're, yeah. we're this like little neighborhood family. Um, so it's staying true to that, right? And not yeah. selling out on that piece of who we are. Yeah. Drew, dude, this has been awesome. Um, Luke's over here. Luke, I think Luke's inspired to open up a brewery. Luke, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, no, I, I really appreciate this. This was, this was more, than, more than I could have imagined for this. To, for the listeners, man, they're, they're going to love uh, just kind of hearing, you know, the previous episode with you guys was the story of Ren House, and now this is just going to be the more... You know, I don't know. I'm rambling. So, Drew, uh, <laughs> how is there a, is there, what could encompass this? Like, what's a message that you think sure. could cover this whole thing? You know, I, I would say, um, you know, treat opening a brewery or running a brewery as any other business, right? So, you know, you're, you're going to have the same challenges as, you know, somebody who's doing a tech startup or, 
opening a restaurant or what a daycare. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you're running a business. So keep that in mind. Um, I know it's easy to get carried away with, I mean, it's a fun industry, right? So, sure. I mean, you're, you're making beer and beer is awesome. Yeah. Beer is great. And <laughs> yeah. it's, it's fun to experiment. Um, just, you know, again, it does, it doesn't do anybody good if you make great beer and you close because you don't have yeah. a good business plan. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, work on that business plan. Don't get ahead of yourself and be flexible. You know, yeah. shit's going to change and you're going to get hit a few times. So yeah. just, you know, stick with it. Just got to roll with the punches, man. Right. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. Hey guys, thanks for checking this episode out. Hopefully you really enjoyed this. Drew is an awesome guy. And as you guys know, if, if you, if you, if you've been to Ren House, you know, it's an awesome place. So, um, hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode. If you're enjoying what you're hearing with this, uh, with the podcast, do me a huge favor, go to iTunes and give a rating and review. It really helps us climb up the rankings and get more exposure to help get Arizona beer on the map as a craft beer destination. So, most importantly, always remember, stay awesome.